But I, all I'm just, all I'm saying is I really like Indiegogo better as a platform for the way that we like to wrangle the data at the end of the campaign. So it's really distressing uh, that this is happening on Indiegogo because it, it, it's sort of a battered spouse syndrome. Do we keep on working with them, even if they're going to hide us from people? And it's kind of like finding out your girlfriend's cheating on you. You know what I mean? It's like, what, why would you do that? I mean, I've been so good to you. Hello and welcome. This is Culturescape, the show that interviews the geek creators and influencers that built nerd culture. Today I have with me the wonderful Chris Braley. He is the man behind Bleeding Fool. He also helps uh, manage and run a few uh, Kickstarter comics campaigns. In particular, he is the one that's working with Mike Barron on his Indiegogo campaign for his latest project. Well, we wanted to bring on Chris because we recently interviewed Mike Barron, which will be kind of going in tandem with this uh, interview. And we wanted to get inside understanding how the censorship happens on places like Indiegogo, how, what impact that has on comics, and learn a little bit about Chris in the meantime as well. Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. Much appreciated. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate you asking me. All right. So let's let's tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Um uh, you run Bling Fool. How did you get interested in uh, running a website? What was your nerd background growing up? And then how does this all lead into what's going on with uh, managing comics for people like uh, Aaron? For me, uh, it goes way back to when I was in grade school and on the spinner rack. I found I was very fond of the old Harvey comics uh, with Richie Rich and, and uh, Sad Sack and all those. And one day... Uh, came across, you know, I saw Spider-Man on, um, I think it was the Electric Company, and were, was familiar with Spider-Man from the cartoons, I think, and uh, found an issue of Amazing Spider-Man that had Stegron and the Lizard Man, and it was a Christmas issue. So you got humanoid lizard, Spider-Man, and a Christmas issue. So I was hooked. I got uh, this old Conan comic books, which I know my mother probably would not have approved of if she had actually opened those comics back then, but... I was hooked. I love uh, the comic book medium and uh, uh, amassed, you know, a small collection. I've got a few white whales in my comic book collection, but I've, I've always just sort of been fond of the medium because I'm an illustrator at heart. I was a doodler growing up and at one time thought I wanted to be a comic book artist until I found out how much they made and decided I needed to try to do something else. Um, I went into uh, the Navy, I did that for a little while, did uh, college, got a couple of degrees. One was in um, art and uh, the other was in psychology. I don't really use either of them uh, to any big degree, but um, about a decade or so ago, I started Brawley Image Group, which is my uh, video production company. And um, uh, comics and, and, and geek culture was always just sort of a, you know, a fascination or a hobby with me. You know, I, I love Terminator. I love Star Trek. I love Star Wars. I mean, I'm into all those things, uh, not to any exuberant degree, because I don't have enough confidence to dress up at comic conventions, even though I've been to a couple of them. And uh, yeah, so I was a, I was I was a regular reader of CBR and um 
and uh, bleeding cool. Um, and I remember uh, there was a discussion one time on bleeding cool. I can't remember the writer. It might have been Joe Glass, but the, I, I don't know for sure. Where they were crowing about diversity and inclusion and how we needed more diversity in comics, and you know, um, it, it was that was the important uh, thing. And, and you've seen this lately with sort of a woke push in comics where we just need to have everybody represented. And it's not that I have an issue with that, but I, I posted in the comments section that wasn't it amazing how X-Men 94, when it came out, was extremely inclusive and diverse, and they didn't market it that way at all. They just put it out. It happened to have an international cast of characters, and it was a hit. And it was one of the big hits, and eventually it overtook uh, titles like The Avengers and Spider-Man and others. And I got shadow banned for making that comment. Now, I might have included a little bit of snark, but I tried to do any of my comments. A lot of them are sarcastic, but they're not filled with expletives or anything obscene. So I was surprised. And the reason I, I, I found out I was shadow banned was typically my comments would get responses or they would get thumbs up or thumbs down. This mm -hmm. one got no responses. And I thought it, I was very proud of myself, you know, that I had thought to make this uh, really intelligent. You know, I was really proud of myself with what I said and no one was commenting. So I'd heard this term shadow banning. This had been about five years or so ago. And uh, I thought, well, let me log out and just look. And I logged out and sure enough, you couldn't see my comment anywhere. And that's when I realized they have hidden my comment from the other users because they didn't like that I pointed out sort of a, a massive hole in their narrative, if you will. And uh, I got so incensed about it, Peter, that I thought I can start a website. I mean, making a website is not that hard to do. I'd been doing it for years. I knew HTML code and you can always fire up a WordPress. And I thought, I'm just going to satirize Bleeding Cool. And they come at a lot of their uh, stories from a very, um, shall you say, left wing um, side to things, but also from a very, although uh, Rich Johnston does uh, sometimes uh, take people to task, most of the time he's um, praising or shilling for stuff. At least it appears that way. And we didn't want to do that. We, I, I wanted to just sort of um, do something that did it the opposite way, maybe from the right side of the aisle. And I didn't think much of it. It was just a little blog there for a while. And I got some other people that were interested in writing also from that perspective, um, like Doug Ernst and, uh, you know, several other guys, uh, mm -hmm. Captain, Captain Frugal, who does um, you know, uh, frugal comic collecting and reviews and things like that. And over the years, it's just sort of grown uh, to where, I mean, we're still nowhere near as big as Bleeding Cool and people can still go there. They do probably 20 times as many stories every day as we do. Uh, but it's, it's sort of grown. It's fun. We've got our little niche uh, over on this side of uh, the internet. And Mike Barron actually was a regular reader. That's how I met Mike. I was a regular, he was a regular reader of the blog and uh, one day just sent me an email uh, with cover art for Florida Man. And I just started um, noticing some of the success that creators were having crowdfunding. And I said, is this, is this comic coming out? It was a great cover. And he said, no, he goes, I can't get uh, my publisher to pick it up. He was doing a lot of work with Dark Horse. He still does a lot of work with Dark Horse now. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you ought to crowdfund it. 
And he said, I don't know anything about crowdfunding. Would you help me? And, you know, the rest is history. We, we did it and we uh, did quite well with it. And um, earlier this year, we uh, split the graphic novel into three issues and, and published with American Mythology Productions, who do Old Laurel and Hardy. They do Fright Night. I mean, they do Zorro. So it, it seemed to me that Florida Man is a mythological type of person, if you will, and it was a good fit for American Mythology. And so we've done a few other uh campaigns ever since mike and i have yeah thin blue wine last year that was a very successful that one did very well it made uh besides uh doing really strong on its indiegogo it made the media rounds i think it was on fox and friends all over the place Places yeah it, it did really well indiegogo go. was probably around ninety five thousand dollars, and kickstarter we did around forty five thousand dollars it was a tremendous it was a tremendous hit and obviously getting it on fox and friends it was just fortuitous that it was an active campaign and it was police week and fox was looking for stories and we had put out a press release or something and it, they just reached out and it just worked out. It was it was really fortuitous for us. Yeah, I, it is nice when it happens. So uh, shadow banning for those who are perhaps not familiar, it's the idea that if if you were on a platform of some kind, okay, maybe it's commerce, maybe it's social media, whatever. It's in people's minds. There are either two ways to go: either you are allowed on the platform or you are blocked. So either you're let in or you're let out. But what has happened over the last decade is that these platforms have realized that they can make it so no one sees a person. So you can post as much as you want to the wind and you can engage, but no one's going to see it. You're basically kept in a, a silo where no one else can hear you. So yell as loud as you want. And in this way, they don't get the problems for people complaining about bans, and they still get to keep users. And many of those users will still keep trying to yell into the silo and hope someone hears them anyways. Uh, and it doesn't just apply to social media. That's probably where people are most familiar. Uh, Facebook, you know, I have an aunt. She, she went to school for forestry. She had some, there was some story in the news that had to do with forestry. And she had a different opinion. And all of a sudden, she's like, where did everyone go? No one's replying to anything anymore. And look to those who say some of this is in people's heads. I agree. To, to some extent, I'm sure it is. But uh, I think there's enough evidence to say that this is a tactic that goes on. And you, what's interesting here is when you move away from social media and you move to where money is involved, that is where you can find real evidence of this taking place. So Indiegogo, which used to be and you, if you probably remember this, Chris, uh, Chris, is that um, unlike Kickstarter or the other uh, GoFundMe, another one that Indiegogo until mm, 2018 used to be the free speech one. Like if you can't get over there, you can go to there. Uh, were you involved back in those days? And what did you see uh, happen to Indiegogo since? I, well, I really didn't start poking around Indiegogo until 2020, 2019, probably. Mm -hmm. But it had a reputation for being a more free-spirited platform. Uh, Kickstarter was, um, although Kickstarter is still a much bigger platform, I think they almost had more of a curator uh, sort of uh, presence where you really had to be a specific type of project for them to let you on. They actually do a three-day review process on Kickstarter. You never really know where you stand until they approve the campaign. And Indiegogo, I think you're right. 
uh, was much more of uh, had had a reputation at least for being more of a free speech, free spirited uh, second uh, Johnny Come Lately to Kickstarter. They're the second biggest one out there. Yeah, and for people who are interested in um, comics, especially comics gate projects, but you know maybe just a comic that's somehow out of the main out of the mainstream. I mean, there are people like uh, Chuck Dixon, who sometimes you might say he's comics, but much of the time he's still mainstream. And, you know, Indiegogo is sometimes the best place to look for interest in the project because that's where comic watchers are looking for new projects. So well, sure. Well, even even uh, Keanu Reeves did Berserker. I think that's on Boom Studios. They did their launch on Indiegogo. Uh, and uh, Wesley Snipes just did a comic book and they did an Indiegogo campaign. So like Dynamite Entertainment, some of the bigger small press studios um, have done uh, campaigns there. It, it, I do think you're right, Peter, that Indiegogo has a bit of more of a reputation for being uh, very friendly to comics and, and graphic novel projects, more so probably than uh, Kickstarter does. Okay, so it is a little, it is um, uh, surprising to many that we are now seeing that Indiegogo has become very censorious and that they are implementing things that are effectively shadow bans. Uh, can we get into what, it, what it's like in your end? For example, when did you notice perhaps the numbers or the traffic started to change? Uh, when did you realize something was up? And then what happened when you tried to... Uh, confront or reach out to Indiegogo for an explanation? So we launched the campaign in um, late September and it just shot off like a bang. Um, really, I think we did like $11,000 the first day. And your first and, day and what, is usually your biggest. And what's the, the name of the comic again for oh, everyone? Yeah. This is the, the Private American, uh, sort of a wordplay on like Captain America. This is the Private American. And it deals with uh, maybe a touchy political subject, which is sort of where we thought uh, the shadow ban stemmed from. Uh, it's basically a Punisher type character. He's a former Green Beret and he lives uh, in South Texas and he is familiar with what's going on at the border and that there's a lot of uh, drug trafficking and human trafficking and cartels and gangs that are coming across. Um, and Border Patrol is just sort of overwhelmed. And then uh, one day, um, the uh, open border basically sort of touches his family in a very violent, tragic way. And he says, you know, I'm going to do what I know best. I'm going to take what I know about war to the border and stop all this fentanyl and stop these cartels. So it's basically mm -hmm. a one-man army and a partner, and it's called the Private American. Okay, so what happened there with uh, Indie? Going back to Indiegogo, what happened there? Because at first things did seem like they were working. When did yeah. you notice the switch? What was going on? Well, when we hit so around uh, twenty thousand dollars, we had raised around twenty thousand dollars, and we, when you do these campaigns, you do things. Or some people do what's called a stretch goal. So, like you hit five thousand dollars, we're gonna do a heavier stock paper. Um, you do 10,000, everybody's going to get a, um, a sticker, custom sticker for, for the book. Uh, at $20,000, we had a stretch goal uh, from a, an, an artist named Dan Lawless. He's great. Um, and that was going to be a new variant cover. You know, we've got the regular cover from St uh, Richard Bonk, and we've got a special variant cover from Steve Rude. 
But Dan, uh, Dan's was at $20,000. So Dan uh, starts promoting the campaign once his cover's on there, right? And he emails me on Friday night, late Friday night, the day after his, um, we've reached that goal, and says, hey, man, people can't find the campaign. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, they're typing private American, private America, the private American, Mike Barron's private American, and, and could not find it. Now, at the time, I thought, well, that, that's weird, but I didn't think much of it until I decided to sort of investigate it myself. And sure enough, and I think I sent you the video of um, just the search yes. for private American. And there was no every way possible that you tried and as far down as you would scroll, you could not find it. And so I sent an email, um, I guess that was October 29th uh, to um, Indiegogo. They responded, thank you for the note. I've looked into it. Uh, that's going to require further assistance from our trust and um, trust and safety team. I've escalated it and we'll get back to you. Uh, I didn't hear anything for about three days. And I wrote again uh, to a different email that I have, a basic, you know, just a flat support email. Mm -hmm. And they said, thank you. We've received your message and we'll uh, return it as soon as possible. A few days later, it was, I'm currently looking into it. I'll be in touch when I have further information. That was November 2nd, and we have not heard anything since. I actually sent them another email three or four days late, on November 6th, that said uh, basically it was just highly irregular. What's going on? This is affecting and impacting our active campaign. And it kind of impacts it a couple of ways. Um, you get a lot of backers. My, it's hard to explain this unless you're in the crowdfunding world, but there are actually people called super backers, right? So they just, they troll through Kickstarter and Indiegogo looking for things to back. Uh, some, uh, that's not my mindset, but it's a true story. About 33% of your income will come in from people who find you on the platform. And the way that they find you is either just a straight search or you are suggested at the bottom of multiple pages on the site. So let's say I'm going to go look at, uh, well, let's take the new Chuck Dixon book, First Kill, right? So I go to First Kill and I go, well, maybe I'll come back later, but I scroll all the way to the bottom and there will be four or five suggested similar projects. Well, the private American should show up there, but now it doesn't. And then when I, maybe if I decide to back the Chuck Dixon book, I'll go in through the, uh, I'll process the order and everything, and then I'll land on a page that says, here's some other uh, projects you might be interested in, and they're not there either. And then I found out, and I don't know if I sent you this video demonstration, even if you favorite, like I want to follow this project, let's say you don't have the money right now, you, you hear about it, and then you go there, and you're like, oh man, I want that book right there, but I need to wait until payday. So there's this little heart function, you follow it, and then you can go back and look at all the campaigns you're following and go back, plus you get updates from the campaign you're following. In other words, all the people who back a campaign get updates, because we'll send out a new update about, about once a week or every two weeks, just something go on, going on. We just launched a art contest, so we sent out an update the other day. Well, everyone that follows the campaign also gets those updates. So you're sort of reminded, hey, I, I still need to back this, and you'll even get a reminder as the campaign is winding down. 
And now it appears that Indiegogo is also hiding us from those people who have actually opted in to learn more, which to me is insidious. And I really wish that we could find out what's going on, at least whether or not there's anything we can do. You know, if it's if it were violent imagery or some terminology that we were using, um, we would be happy to acquiesce because we really like the platform. So we would modify the campaign to whatever uh, Indiegogo requires. But they're not doing that. They're not responding. To me, that's the biggest concern is that they're not responding at all um, at this point. And there's no reason for that. I know um, I did contact the comic book legal defense fund about this, and we have been engaged in a discussion with them. And the term you mentioned it earlier, comics gate came up because Mike is very friendly with uh, a lot of the guys that are sort of the big talkers, the big faces, the big time creators in Comicsgate. And you've got everybody from Bill Willingham to Chuck Dixon to Ethan Van Skyver to John Malin, uh, Dale Keown, uh, Billy Tucci. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, names that people are going to recognize from the 90s and early 2000s era of comic books and even some from the Bronze Age. And of course, Mike Barron, He's known for writing The Punisher for five years or even uh, The Flash over at DC Comics or Nexus for many years. Um, so there's sort of this loose connection of creators who are from the right side of politics and sort of which prevents them from getting more work. Now, maybe they are a-holes. I don't know. Um, you know. They're not to me. But regardless of affiliations or philosophies, I, I'm not sure how that justifies shadow banning the project. And it turns out that we're not the only project that's dealing with this, but of the projects that I'm familiar with, they all do seem to have some tertiary connection to Comicsgate. Yeah. The other names looking into this, uh, reaching out to some people, other names I know we're seeing it. Um, there are uh, Comicsgate EVS. So Ethan Van Skyver, who has a very, successful record with uh self-funded comics like he's he's like eh, he's one of the best he's very talented millions millions yeah. of dollars raised he's really he's really good he knows how to press all the buttons get people interested oh um, yeah uh richard meyer uh mm-hmm. your boy zach or diversity in comics as he used to be on youtube he's he worked on all kinds of interesting projects uh jawbreakers is a pretty well-known comic that people may be familiar yeah. with um, he also worked on Expendables. Uh, not even just people in Comicsgate, though. There, you were pointing to a few projects where they had easily crossed the hundred, two hundred thousand uh, threshold mark, and then all of a sudden they disappear. And these were like the biggest comics on Indiegogo. If they were treated fairly, they were among the top five comics sure. on Indiegogo. Period. And you can't find them, which is extremely bizarre. Well, and it's such a it's such a uh, an effective suppression tool also because you can find them if you have the direct link, right? So if somebody shares a link to you in an email or in a tweet or a DM or whatever, you can click that and go straight to the campaign page. The problem is when uh, you know you mentioned Mike Barron being on Fox and Friends. Well, Mike can say, "Oh yeah, you go to Indiegogo, just search the Private American, and then." You have millions of viewers that will go to Indiegogo and they can't find it, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and and like in a printed magazine or newspaper, I know most uh, media is not print anymore, 
But, you know, some people just don't have that link and they just want to go and search for it and find it themselves. And that's really the way that I find most of these. I can just I'll just go there and type Ethan's name or the name of Rainbow Brute or whatever the latest campaign is that he's got up there. And that's how I find it. And now you can't find those. It's it's so, really it's really it, it, it's it's almost um, it's surreal when you realize that that's that's what's happening and they're not. It's, it's a it's a ghosting. They've turned you into ghosts. Okay, so let me push a, a few a past you a few theories. I've heard from people asking what they think this might be. One theory um, is that they are not shadow banning immediately. That they're going to let people get through, like maybe the first two or three uh, kicks, whatever they call them, Indiegogo Kickstarter goals. And then the shadow ban comes in because I noticed that a lot of these projects, at least that we know about, that's gone shadow banned. They did. They did at least many of them did reach their initial funding yeah. goal. Yes. So do you think that's what's happening? Are they shadow banning from the start? What, what do you think? What do you think is kicking in that causes to go from project that's sh not shadow banned project that is shadow banned? You know, I'm not sure what is triggering uh, the shadow ban. I don't even know for sure that it's Comicsgate related. I, that's my best guess, uh, but maybe because those are the campaigns that are making noise about it, right? There could be campaigns that are being shadow banned and they don't know at all. Um, like I said, if Dan hadn't said, hey, people are searching and can't find it, look into this, I would have never looked into it, right? Mm -hmm. um, is there some sort of trigger that's happening? I've heard the same thing like, well, if anybody changes their campaign, they're getting shadow banned. Well, every stretch goal, uh, whenever you reach a stretch goal, you tend to go in and edit the campaign and say, hey, this is now unlocked, right? Or a nice scratch through or some indicator on the page. You have to update the page. So if it's automatic, uh, then it's impacting every single campaign on Indiegogo. And that's ridiculous. I mean, to me, that's like, why would you want to slow the momentum of a campaign that's building momentum, you know, because they're still collecting 5%. Uh, and so 5% of $10,000 is a lot less than 5% of $100,000. So I, I'm not sure why they would cut their nose off to spite their face like that. But that, that might be that might be sort of the trigger mechanism, but uh, it still doesn't make sense, right? In other words, why they're doing it is what I want to know, not how they're doing it, because it's being done. I don't know if it's happening at the beginning or if it's happening after the first stretch goal is met or after the campaign has reached its funding goal, right? Yeah. But whatever they're doing, whether it's intentional or accidental or automatic, it's a suppression of uh, successful campaigns, which... Why on earth would anyone? Why, why on earth would anyone want to go on a platform that's going to hide you from people looking for you? Yeah, and that's that's the weird part. Is Indiegogo? They make, I think it's five percent. They make five percent off of any project. Yeah, and so they have every incentive to have these projects succeed. They they need the comics projects and every other project to be as big as they possibly can because Indiegogo then gets a bigger. Um, a piece of the pie. Uh, and this is one theory I heard from another person who have had a bit more information, knows some people, that one theory that they've heard is that perhaps Indiegogo's financials are not as strong as many are being led to believe and that they are just trying to 
get in someone's good graces or somehow push down the negative so that Indiegogo is an easier sell to a, a different company and they can take on the risk and they, the people at Indiegogo who run it now can you know enjoy a nice payday. Do you think there's any truth to that? I don't, I don't know if I have seen anything that establishes it, but it is an interesting theory. Well, I mean, all we can do is speculate, right? I, I don't know what their thinking is. I'm not even sure if it's some sort of weird pursuit of making them appear more viable. Uh, to me, if Ethan Van Skyver raises $2 million on your site and you earn $100,000 of that with your 5% cut, that seems to me to be the more viable option. Um, you know, we mentioned Kickstarter earlier being a little more... Um, left wing, I guess, than what Indiegogo's reputation is. And we currently have a private American campaign over there and we hit our funding goal in the first hour and we're not shadow banned on Kickstarter. So I'm not sure if that is the reasoning for Indiegogo, that they're struggling to financially. So they're suppressing these big campaigns because their comics gate or something. I mean, I'm not sure. I know that comics gate has gotten a really bad rap. Um, you could also argue that Donald Trump has gotten a really bad rap. And why do uh, some of the platforms not want Donald Trump on their platform, right? Uh, even though he probably brings a lot of engagement and activity to those platforms. I mean, are we sort of a um, microscopic version of where Donald Trump was? I don't know. But it's all uh, insane to me. At least Donald Trump knew he was being thrown off platforms. We're just being shadow banned. And like I said, I think it's it, the insidious part of this is rather than saying we don't approve of your campaign or we don't approve of your um, thoughts about the comic book industry or we don't approve of your politics. So you can't raise money on our camp on our platform. It's like we don't we're not going to admit that we're shadow banning you because that's really bad press. We're just going to do mm -hmm. it. And we're going to show these people that we're trying to impress that we're doing it. And woke points. I mean, what really what is the point of it? It just it, it boggles the mind. It is frustrating. Um, you know, I think the major difference, I mean, there are lots of differences, obviously, between a major figure like Donald Trump. Sure. You know, of course, a, a person like that, they're big enough that even though if they don't have access to the mainstream platforms, they can figure things out off it. I think even for someone, and Mike Barron is, in the world of comics, he's big, but I think to people who are outside comics, his name means absolutely nothing. Oh, sure. If we're, if we're being honest. Uh, absolutely. Even someone like like anyone, like anyone in comics these days, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, anyone we've uh, mentioned. Yeah, sure. Yeah, except okay, maybe but, Sylvester Stallone, right? But you yeah. know, Donald Trump can go start Truth Social. He, I mean, mm -hmm. he he has the means, the resources, the money, the influence, and can go just create his own social media platform. On the other hand, we cannot do any such thing. This is sort of one of our big outlets to do that. And you know, I've heard people say, "Well, you can just go straight to publishing." And, and we have published with, you know, the regular major publishers before. But the thing about crowdfunding allows you to pay for the colorist, the letterist, the printing. Uh, you can do extra things and build a lot of engagement. And there's there's an upfront cost to publishing these books on your own. And being able to publish on your own, you're free. You know, you can publish what you want. Uh, nobody last year when we did Thin Blue Line, which you mentioned earlier, we did shop that around to uh, some of Mike's old publishers 
<clears throat> and some others that we thought it might work with like humanoids and some others. And there were mm -hmm. a few uh, a few responses we got back that said, F this copaganda, remove me from your email list. <laughs> uh, it was just insane. And it, it was really the first oh time that I knew there was so much anti-cop uh, sentimentality out there, mentality from uh, some of the people in the arts. And I get it. I mean, most most uh, creatives and people in the creative arts industry are very liberal, very left wing. But you would think that free speech and being anti-censorship would fit in that model, or at least it did with all the old liberals that I grew up with, but not anymore. So it's really a weird um, situation, a weird cultural world that we find ourselves in where free speech is no longer um, allowed and certain topics are just verboten or subjects or people. So we've, uh, it looks like Comics Gate's just sort of been othered on Indiegogo. And I really hate that uh, because it is, you know, um, there's a company called Backer Kit, which is starting their own thing next year. And for the longest time, they were doing post-campaign fulfillment. Uh, they would combine all your information from Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Those were the big ones. There are much smaller outlets like Indicron that sort of compile the same information. But BackerKit goes beyond that and doing post-campaign surveys, mm -hmm. you name it. And one of the guys reached out to me after our last big campaign and said, hey, um, we're here to help you with the next campaign if you want. And so we started going back and forth. And he was recommending Kickstarter. Uh, over Indiegogo because Indiegogo had had some financial issues. At least that's what he implied without coming straight out and saying it. And I argued on Indiegogo's behalf saying, well, I like Indiegogo better because the data they provide is much more granular. It's much easier to sort. And this is a huge difference between Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Indiegogo, when the campaign goes ends or goes into end demand, you have access to everyone's name, email, mailing address, and what they backed. At Kickstarter, you don't have that. You have their name, and you can contact them directly through the platform, but you do not get their shipping address until they fill out what Kickstarter lovingly calls a survey. Well, if you're like me, it's the 21st century, and I'm used to email, and I don't like to answer surveys, right? Because to me, mm -hmm. that's spam. Uh, I wish they would call it um, fill out your shipping information or something, because that's really all it is. It, it lets them put in their current shipping address, and then Kickstarter will release those to you one at a time. It's really a painful process, and unfortunately, the way that process works, you can send out message to, messages to all of them. You can send out bulk messages by tier, on and on and on, and still, we had almost 3,000 backers on, on the Thin Blue Line over on Kickstarter, and there's still about 50 or 60 that have never filled out the questionnaire, the survey, for whatever reason. Maybe they've marked their emails, Kickstarter emails is spam. I don't know. But I all I'm just all I'm saying is I really like Indiegogo better as a platform for the way that we like to wrangle the data at the end of the campaign. So it's really distressing uh, that this is happening on Indiegogo because it, it it's sort of a battered spouse syndrome. Do we keep on working with them even if they're going to hide us from people? It's almost like being a prostitute where yeah the sex is great but we don't want anybody to know we're hanging out with you you know what i mean it's i hate to be so crass about it but that's sort of how it feels 
Yeah, not not a metaphor. I think that I completely understand, but <laughs> I, I get I get what you're saying. You know, the, the issue is for people who don't why these things matter is it's not just the people who are being affected that um, have successful campaigns uh, like. Uh, the one you are doing with Private American or Thin Blue Line, but it's also about all the people who are starting, who are never going to be seen at all. People who don't, who are just entering, they don't know who to connect with, they don't know how to raise funds properly. They just, you know, maybe they have a great comic, but if Indiegogo is going to stop them from growing, we're never going to see that. It's not just the people who are being censored now; it's all the people that might be censored uh, that we don't know about now and in the future. Absolutely. And and mm-hmm. it's look, it's just not. It's just not right for any company really to play these kind of games. Like, come on! If you you have you sign with agreements, it's there's a trust between the user and the product, whatever the platform is. If I'm on Twitter and they say, "Yeah, we want to have you here," you know, tweet. Uh, they don't do verified anymore, but they gave me a verified check, and they're like, "That seems like they want me here," but then mm-hmm. they're gonna make it so people can't see my stuff, and it, it just it just doesn't sit right. With me, and it doesn't sit right. Anyone, you know, some people who don't experience it, they think, "Oh, it's not a big deal." But when you do, it really does give you a sense like this. This is kind of an unfair practice. I, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. Well, you're right. But, it, it's not right. It's deceptive, and it really can harm creators who are just starting out or maybe don't know how to game the system. The only way we were able to get around uh, the the shadow ban is to just start promoting our URL. We bought a URL, theprivateamerican.com. And if you go there, for a while, we were just redirecting. We had just redirected, you type in theprivateamerican.com and it would go to the Indiegogo page. But once I realized they were hiding us, even though that would still work, that redirection, I said, no, we've got to put up a page at theprivateamerican.com and have a link to Indiegogo, a link to Kickstarter. And we also were trying out a new crowdfunding platform called Crowdfunder with no E. So it's crowdfunder, you know, dot com. Uh, so we've got links to all three of those platforms. And, you know, th- anyone who's not savvy enough to get their own URL, I mean, they're really going to be out of luck uh, because otherwise you have to say, Go to Indiegogo.com forward slash projects forward slash the dash private dash American slash seven, eight, six, four, three. You know, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, of course, you can you can share the whatever the URL is on social media and so on. But it, just knowing the private American.com, you can go to it. You can find it. It's great. Um, but some people aren't going to be savvy enough. And it's really going to hurt smaller creators that can't overcome that shadow ban, particularly if you don't know what triggers it. Yeah, exactly. Such a uh, I, such a shady thing. I guess that kind of yeah, the name it's shady. <laughs> it's 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 wrong. I mean, you you nailed it. It's just wrong. It's not right. It's wrong, and it's deceptive, and it's shady, and it's kind of icky. Because, like I said, I really like Indiegogo, and it's kind of like finding out your girlfriend's cheating on you. You know what I mean? It's like, what? Why would you do that? I mean, I've been so good to you, right? I'm giving you this money. Uh, you're taking five percent right off the top. Um, but, uh, you know, so I, and I wish that we had as much traction at Kickstarter, but like I said, when we did uh, thin blue line, we did like $95,000 on Indiegogo. We did about half that on Kickstarter. Who knows why? Who knows why? 
All right. Well, Chris Braley, thank you so much for coming on. I, I of course, done well work with you on Bleeding Fool. I've always enjoyed that. You're a wonderful personality and a decent editor. I hope the things with the Shadow Band and uh, Mike Barron's projects, I hope that gets fixed. You know, I hope everything becomes, you know, it's not like I'm rooting for these platforms to go down. I know people with the Twitter, a lot of people are like, burn, burn. And they're, they're really rooting for uh the anarchy and chaos and I, I i don't do that it's like i like these places you know i have issues with them i want the issues fixed i don't i just I, it's not like i just want them gone entirely <laughs> Uh, I think you've just personified the conservative perspective, right? I mean, we would like to mm -hmm. conserve these institutions that are serving people. There may be some tweaks that need to take place, but they were functioning fine. And up until this campaign, uh, Indiegogo was not broken. Now it seems like it's broken. And, and that's the struggle. Um, it's, it's a shame. It's wrong. Uh, if I get um, a little more, um, if we make a little headway with the comic book legal defense fund, who typically are very anti-censorship and typically um, assist, or they're known for mostly assisting uh, more left-wing creators. It's comic book related, but they're taking this matter very seriously. So if I have anything to update on that front, I'll let you know, Peter. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for coming on. Please check out uh, bleedingfool.com, yes, wonderful sure. uh, geek news website, and be sure to check out Mike Barron's work with Private American and his previous comics they've done, like you said, Florida Man, Thin Blue Line, which was fun. I'll end, I'll end it here. People who said that uh, Mike Barron, that it was Copaganda, obviously had never re read Mike Barron's work. Because no. if you know his run on Punisher, that I was like as much, that was as far as you could get with like anti-cop. <laughs> it really was. You know, Mike, I, yeah. I, I know you spoke with him, but he had an incident with the police when his, uh, with his ex, or not his ex-wife, his uh, wife who's passed away sadly uh and he had he dealt with the police and they were so respectful and so uh, treated everything very uh gingerly and respectful that he just earned a, an all-new respect for police and of course the artist on thin blue line is a, an active duty police yeah. officer and so the book was very even-handed i think a lot of people were surprised that it did sort of tackle it from all angles uh, you know and mike's a great writer i mean he didn't win an eisner yeah. award just for being you know who he is he, he's really good and if anyone's interested you can go to thin blue line comics to check that out or you can go to florida man comics to check out his florida man work we're uh you know, Mike's is more prolific these days than ever before, and I'm honored to work with him. And honored anytime you write uh, for us, Peter, your stuff's always top shelf. Uh, you're oh, a great you. writer. I know you're prolific. You're all over the place, though. I mean, you're in high demand, which is it's always good to be in demand, not on demand. And you are in demand. So I appreciate your time today, Peter. Yeah, no problem. Well, thank you, everyone, for taking a listen. This has been CultureScape. And until next time, my friends, keep geeking out.